Hi, this is Bob Murphy, and you're listening to the Libertarian Christian Podcast. Welcome to the show that gets Christians thinking about faith and politics. Get ready to challenge the statist quo, expand your imagination, and tackle controversy head on. Let's stand together at the intersection of faith and freedom. It's time for the Libertarian Christian Podcast. Welcome to the Libertarian Christian Podcast, a project of the Libertarian Christian Institute. I'm Nick Gosling, and today we're joined by Rayford Davis. Rayford has a bachelor's in criminal justice, is a former member of the United States Coast Guard, and was a police officer in the city of North Charleston for six years, including four years on patrol and two years as a detective. He was injured and retired in 2007, and since that time, he has become a fierce critic of the war on drugs, and that's what he's here to talk to us about today. Uh, Rayford is also an affiliate of Law Enforcement Action Partnership, formerly known as Law Enforcement Against Prohibition. Rayford, thanks for joining us. Uh, Thank you for having me on and giving me an opportunity to, to speak about some important issues. So I've seen you put out a lot of really interesting content. You're very active on social media. We've had a number of people uh, who listen to this show who have uh, have asked us to bring you on. So it's great to have you here. So if you can just tell us a little bit about uh, about your background, what made you get into law enforcement in the first place, and kind of what was your, your thought process, uh, what was your attitude towards the drug war and law enforcement in general, and then kind of take us through how that, how, the, how your thinking changed there over time. Right. Well, you know, I grew up uh, Southern Baptist, uh, not a big church goer, but, you know, I went to, went to church and certainly, uh, you know, uh, big into Christianity, uh, kind of moved over to the Seventh-day Adventist church uh, and, and, you know, and really, in, in, you know, enjoy that there. Uh, just uh, com- considered myself a compassionate conservative. Um, and I wanted to, you know, get out there and help my community and make a difference. Uh, and I, I was a little bit older, so I was like, uh, I was 29 years old when I, so I started, so I was a little bit older, married, had kids. I figured I had good judgment, had a uh, bachelor's degree in criminal justice from Charleston Southern University. That used to be the Baptist, used to be called the Baptist College. Who else to, uh, you know, to do that than me to go out there and and and, uh, and serve my community. Uh, and that's that's the attitude of 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 pretty much all officers to go out there. It's not these you know these bad guys or or guys that really want to impose their will on others. Uh, they really want to make a difference. And um, you know, and so that's what we did. North Charleston, uh, city of about eighty thousand, kind of the working class side of the of the more historic uh, touristy uh, you know Charleston, uh, about half black, half white. And we had a lot of crime. When I was there, uh, we were the, considered the eighth most dangerous city uh, in the nation uh, and very active. And, and so um, as a patrol officer, four years on patrol, you know, our main mission was get you know, guns and drugs off the street because guns and drugs are bad and you have lots of crime. And, and it, a lot of it revolves around that. So you know, get out there, be very proactive and try to make a difference. Um, 
you know, and, and I saw very quickly um, that what we were doing wasn't working. You know, <laughs> I could stand in one particular uh, neighborhood I worked in was called Four Waves because it was a four-way stop and is known for drug activity and had been for years. Uh, and I could, I could stand right on the street corner, like stand on the street corner, patrol car, get out of it, full, you know, arms folded, daring, you know, the street level uh, drug dealers, uh, you know, just, just, you know, daring them. Uh, to uh, to continue the activities, and what would they do? They would move over two streets right around the corner and continue as normal. Um, and, and that's just one little thing, you know, just to show that you could affect it and move it around or push it around. But that was about it. And and then you look at the cost, and 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 started to see uh, that that really, uh, in a lot of ways, um, how we would kind of treat. Uh, people in the in the community, we looked like a vicious gang going around pulling people over for tail lights out or or not using their turn signal long enough and trying to build it uh, into a into a search so we could look for guns or drugs and um, and it, and it was just just really kind of felt you know distasteful um, even with people that were you know that were guilty uh, it just it just didn't quite feel right and you know and I felt that. And and just you got more and more in into just seeing how um, how we really violated people's personal liberties, and and even for you know the substances that generally people you know mind altering substances that people generally consider uh, you know unhealthy or bad. Uh, these are adults with consensual adult activity, and they're using their own bodies to choose to consume whatever they wish or trade. And we were using, as a police officer, we were using violence or the threat of violence to stop them. And, you know, at a fundamental level, that's not right. And that weighed on me uh, quite a bit. Yeah, well, I, yeah and let, go ahead. Let me ask you this. So somebody might, you know, push back and say, well, okay, uh, it's it's one thing if somebody is using drugs and they're they're an adult and it's it's consensual, even though most people who are pro-drug war, of course, wouldn't even say that. But let's say somebody does say that, but they go, What about when they're going in and they're dealing near the schools or near the churches and and basically bringing more crime into the community? How would you uh, respond to that argument? Well, you know, that's what I would say is this, this stuff's real crime. And we had the people in the community begging us. Yeah. Right next to the street, uh, the churches and the schools. And, and, um, you know, we had all of this violence, stabbings, uh, you know, assaults, drive by shootings, murders. Uh, yeah, real stuff. Uh, but it was the prohibition enforcement that actually created that in the first place. We learned that. With alcohol prohibition, you ask any police officer uh, about about the history of alcohol prohibition, and they would say, yes, alcohol has its issues, but it was actually the prohibition enforcement that created the vicious gangs, Al Capone and the others, uh, doing their their drive-bys with their with their Tommy guns on on each other. 
that's what that's what it was was the prohibition we ended the prohibition and most of that violence went away and that's the same thing we have we have today so by by in prosecuting this drug war we actually create that very street violence we foster it the cops aren't the ones pulling the triggers and dealing the drugs no but they create those conditions for it for it to uh to exist um and so if you want if you want to get the people off the street corners if you want to get the drug dealers out of the neighborhoods then you have to end prohibition people consider prohibition like this ultimate level of regulation uh when actually prohibition is the forced abdication of all regulation so uh any substance they say and you ask people well should marijuana be legal and they yeah yeah that that's good and you will say how about cocaine oh no 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 cocaine's bad uh, that's just too dangerous and and actually um the more powerful the substance the more important it is to allow regulation of it so it can so it can be uh it will be safer because it's going to be used you can't stop it we know that we've done it for you know 40 years 100 years you can't and and so you have to understand that understand that that just basic liberty principles and even constitutionally alcohol prohibition required a constitution uh, and uh constitutional amendment uh but these other drugs that uh, to ban them uh, just on a constitutional level unconstitutional so we have to you have to legalize it in order to regulate it uh, i never responded i would say i never responded to a drive by shooting between two beer distributors i never heard about a about a uh, pharmacist paying some kid to go shoot up a competitor's house but, uh, anything like never happened but the illegal drugs they would and it's because of their illegality not necessarily uh their whatever their uh um general physical harm they may cause to individuals and even that even that is exacerbated to the you know the, the just the nth degree by the prohibition with the current what we call uh, uh, we have the opioid epidemic now i call it the you know the overdose epidemic it is because you know we we have people medicating themselves way too much in this country that is that is true i agree but it's because they don't have any kind of quality control these people don't know what they're getting from dose to dose and they you know they have these the, you know these serious pain issues that they're trying to deal with you have the pharmaceutical industry getting them hooked and then cutting them off and so they have nowhere else to go but out on the street and you know they're desperate and and then they get in a bad situation where they uh get a dosage of medication or or heroin that's that's cut with something fentanyl or whatever and it's a hundred times or you know 10 or 100 times more powerful than what they're used to and it kills them or they run out for a little while and they're they're um uh, their tolerance goes ways down and then they go back and take a, a little bit and what would they consider a normal dose and that kills them. So that is all prohibition related. 
and and we can even look at other countries up uh, that have uh, decriminalized drugs. Portugal, Portugal's a, a excellent example. Portugal decriminalized all drugs. Yes, heroin, cocaine, methamphetamine, all of that. Their overdose death rates are about ten times lower than most of the states in the United States, even though they've decriminalized. It's not legal, but uh, possession of small amounts is is uh, is not a criminal a criminal uh, a criminal offense, and they focus on treatment. You know, you've you've brought up so many great. Uh, points here just in these last several minutes. I mean, the the economics of prohibition, you know, like, like we talked about a little bit, it's, it's the same thing with alcohol. I mean, when you go back and you look at the history of, of alcohol prohibition, it it empowered and created uh, organized crime. It, it, it basically bolstered and, and solidified the mob. And now uh, the drug war has done the same thing with the cartels. Like you were saying, you know, beer distributors don't go shooting at each other because it's a legitimate and regulated business. Um, so th- what would what would happen if uh, we were to to legalize the drugs? I, I mean, it, it seems when just looking at the economics is the cartels go out of business because they can no longer compete with these with these the, the market based prices because the reason the drugs are so expensive, uh, is is because of the illegality and because it's lucrative and and it's dangerous to do that uh, and and it it forces it into the black market and that's what causes the the the, the prices to go up and that's why the cartels make money hand over fist. Uh, if we if we end the drug war, the cartels would have to go into another line of work if they wanted to uh, keep making money. Is is that is that your understanding? D- that's absolutely correct and. And so you people, um, you know, people have just been really fear mongered and you've got to, you got to look at these substances. I do not support drug abuse. I try to avoid even just medications in my life. And I, you know, I've got a few issues, you know, after, after being hit by a truck, uh, you know, I've got some lingering medical problems to deal to deal with. Uh, I try to avoid medication. I know it has, it has potential negative uh, side effects. Um, but is it evil for me to use it? And, and, and people just, you can tell this fear mongering and reefer madness that we've had for a hundred years. Uh, if someone says the word, uh, does does that nothing? Do you have, you ever even heard of that? Oh, how about, what if I say the word meth? And, and you, when I say the word meth, you get, you get this visceral reaction. Ooh, that's bad. Well, Zoxin and meth are the same thing. Um, hey, cocaine. Cocaine's bad, right? Ritalin, Ritalin, you know, the stuff that we give, you know, you know second graders when they're, when they're a little fidgety. Ritalin and, co- and cocaine affect the exact same neurotransmitters in your brain. So it's the same substance. Yet one of them is evil and sinful and, you know, will we'll, we'll just turn you into this horrible person. And the other one's okay for second graders. So you see, just in the language of the words and stuff, prevents you from even trying to have some type of logical uh, discussion and understanding of it. And that's been intentional, uh, you know, for, for 100 years. And you talk about cartels and everything. Um, 
even if you think drugs should be illegal and, and criminalized and that the state has the right to do that, understand that very same government has been feeding those drugs into this country for decades. If you look at this, the CIA, there's a movie out right now called American Made. It's Tom Cruise. It's, it's supposed to be Barry Seal. And uh, what that's the, about the 1980s Iran-Contra scandal where, you know, we're good old Oliver North, our, you know, our American hero is, uh, along with the CIA and the military, are flying drugs, cocaine, you know, plane loads of it straight into America uh, and and targeting what? minority communities with it freeway ricky ross in los angeles that's where they sent a lot of it to uh, and so these very same organizations and governments are the ones pouring it in from the other side to destabilize these communities and then they send uh, cops like me in there to criminalize it from the other side and we're just crushing our you know our own country and targeting specific communities first and worst and have been there you know, for decades. And well, we have this uh, world's largest prison population by number and percentage in the entire world to show for it. The land of yeah. the free, shining city on the hill. Yeah. And that's, I mean, when, when we hear that story, I mean, it's, it's very Machiavellian sounding, right? It's like, oh, we, we, we know what we're doing. We can control the situation. And so we're going to we're going to distribute the drugs over here and then use the police to attack the drugs over here. And somehow we're going to expect to remain in control of the situation. Never works out that way. It ends up just destroying communities and cities and, and families and lives. Uh, so, I, I mean, it's just it's, it's baffling uh, to think that this is this is how they operate. But you're, you're you're right. That's exactly what happens. And you also touched on the whole uh, the, the pharmaceutical issue where completely legal pharmaceuticals many people are addicted to and then they have to turn to uh, to much more dangerous uh, street versions of those drugs and then we throw them in jail for it so i mean there's also like a crony capitalist element to this with why is it legal over here but not over here and and there's a hypocrisy element in in why would you know certain elements of the government uh, be dealing in these kind of drugs and then meanwhile it's it's illegal for for anyone else to do it I mean, it's just it's a whole mess uh, that that kind of that kind of is a, a, a living testimony to the essence of how government operates. Um, so, I mean, you at some point during your during your career, you eventually came to the realization. And I, I think when you and I were emailing, you had mentioned you read some Lawrence Vance um, and among others. And and you just kind of came to the realization that, you know, this. This isn't right for people. It's not. It's not ethical to be doing this. Uh, it's not right for for the community, for the country, and it's it's unchristian. Uh, so can you can you talk a little bit about maybe the the, the tipping point and how you ultimately left police work? Well, uh, yeah. So I was well. I um, I was directing traffic. Got hit by a truck. I think and broke my leg and never to heal back right. And so I ha I had to get out. Uh, because of that, you know, looking back on that now, you know, was it a kind of a, a you know, a positive karmic thing? I think about uh, about Jake, uh, the biblical Jacob, where, uh, you know, an angel came and and wrestled with him and touched his hip. <laughs> uh, and uh, and and um, 
I kind of feel like maybe that's kind of something that happened to me where, you know, where I, where I, uh, you know, was touched, uh, to, um, and, and injured and kind of to be put on a different track. And, and, I, and so, yeah, at the, when I got out of policing, I was morally conflicted before I got injured. I had tried to, I had gone over into the detective division uh, to try to get away from the drug enforcement because I just knew just, you know, just wasn't right for me. Uh, I was uncomfortable with it. Uh, but even in the detective division where, where we dealt with real crimes and everything, uh, I saw just really how, how poor of a job law enforcement did. And, and it was really um, where we investigated ca- cases uh, at child abuse and sexual assault. And we very likely uh, prosecuted people that were, in fact, innocent. And um, that that weighed on me that I had actually put a handcuffs on people. And you give somebody like a sexual assault charge when they're actually not guilty of it, uh, even though they, you know, the, even if the judicial system exonerates them later or you know whatever, uh, you've really harmed that person. And and that that weighed on me. I saw how bad we did a job of that, and I felt personally responsible for the harm that I inflicted on people, uh, even though I was well-meaning. And 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 just um, that bothered me after I got out of law enforcement, and it, that rolled around in my head uh, the question of when is it okay to use force against another person? What policies and procedures and guidelines can you use? to justify initiating force against the person. I want to talk about initiating force. You, you go in there and take someone's freedom from them. You actually put handcuffs on them and lock them in a cage. And you have a gun. You threaten to shoot them if they resist. When is that all right? Well, you know, you have legitimate reasons sometimes. Uh, if, if you have a person that's an actual thief or somebody's trying to kill another person, well, yes, you can use physical force to stop them. But what if they're just, like you say, in, in using drugs? Now, though they're bad and stuff, yeah, okay, whatever. But is it, is it violent? Well, no. It's consensual adult activity. So you are the one that's initiating that violence and initiating that force. Uh, and you say, well, the, it con- it's constitutional. Or, you, you know, your state law says it's okay. Well, uh, the I, I would say that if you if you align your moral compass with the Constitution and state laws, you're going to very well be a immoral person on a regular basis. And history history has shown that to be true. So why do you think that you know as as vicious as the, the U.S. government has been, has been uh, slavery or or you know in, uh, Native American genocide? I mean, all this constitutional it's all it was all constitutional at the time that it was somehow moral and just. And, and the answer is no. And so you think today that it's different, that there's nothing, there's no law there that, that, uh, that's legal yet immoral. And, and, you know, that's just the height of hubris to, to think that you live in a time like that. Again, when we're talking about the world's largest, most powerful government that has the world's largest prison population, 2.3 million people currently in prison in the United States, um, 5 million under additional correctional control. I mean, there's no other country in the, in the world that has that level. 
Um, you know, we're about seven or eight times, seven or eight times more people incarcerated than what is in, in uh, Western European countries. Um, and that tells well, you right even, there. Even that more tells than, you what, than China and other places, right? I mean, it's just, it's it, like you said, it is the world's largest. It's, it's really just astronomical. Yeah. I mean, you, even if you look at China and you take the most extreme uh, you know, political prisoner incarceration rates that are estimated out there for them. We're still about four times higher than that. Uh, even North Korea, even the, the, the estimates for North Korea, their incarceration rate uh, is just is slightly higher than the United States. It's less than the state of Louisiana's. <laughs> so, you know, you compare Louisiana and North Korea, that Louisiana's got them beat hands down. Uh, and, and we're supposed to be the freest country in the world. And again, I go to the individual police officer. You are the one. You are the one. When you enforce an unjust law, you are the one bringing the harm of that law into existence. And it's your actions. Any law that's immoral you perform that action and you bring that resultant harm into physical manifestation. When you put the handcuffs on a person uh, for a law that does not have a, a moral justification, you become an immoral person. And, and this is also what, you know, what I felt. And I think what a lot of officers feel is you suffer moral injury to yourself. Your, your moral fiber, your conscience, uh, you, you harm yourself when, when, you, when you act unjustly towards another person. And your badge or any government laws or even the Supreme Court cannot shield you from that fundamental moral principle of human interaction. Now, what would you say, I know some people are going to be thinking, well, maybe there's, there's some I, the, some cops out there who maybe are are thinking, well, I don't agree with the drug laws, and maybe they try to not enforce the drug laws, uh, even though their job requires them to. Is that practical? I mean, does that work? Are there are there how many cops out there are thinking that way? Uh, is it is it possible at all to to be a cop uh, and 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 not fall into th these moments where you have to enforce these? Uh, the, the statist policies against nonviolent activity? Um, well, you know, as a police officer, just being a police officer kind of self-selects for people that do uh, agree that these laws are just and whatever logic they use to come to, uh, to get to that conclusion. So people that, that, that come to the conclusion, Hey, you know what? This, this stuff really is uh, immoral no matter what the laws say. Uh, they get out of law enforcement or they never get in it in the first place. So, you know, you have this confirmation bias, um, you know, within law enforcement and all. And you'll see a lot of officers, they're, they're uncomfortable with it, you know, one way or another. But, you know, marijuana is a big one. All of them will say, uh, you know, that, that marijuana shouldn't be legalized except except for a few that, that, that uh, they get paid to uh, – to go testify in front of uh, Senate committees, <laughs> otherwise, uh, but but all the others, uh, it needs to be legal. And just just so uh, people know, uh, that would be a big difference. Uh, marijuana, uh, illegal drug use. People who use an illegal drug, sixty six percent or sixty five percent 
of people who report using illegal drugs, uh, just marijuana alone. So if you legalize marijuana, you you would uh, eliminate two thirds of our quote unquote illegal drug users right there in the spot. And we've seen that even in uh, you see positive benefits of that in Colorado. Uh, Notice that prescription drug use has gone down considerably in the state of Colorado once marijuana became legal. And that makes you wonder, oh, maybe that's maybe there are some material motors for keeping it illegal. Uh, But, yeah, as far as as police officers, uh, you try to to and that's what I did. You try to to kind of remove yourself from from things that you kind of feel are are maybe immoral and, and and try to get into those lines that are more consistent with your uh, with your morality uh, and and that's what I try to do. Is that possible and be a police officer? That's a good question, and that's that's what people need to um, you know to to ask themselves. Can you do that? Well, can you can you serve two masters? <laughs> and that's you know that's kind of where uh, where I lead, and that and um, you know the answer is no, you can't. Now I know that hurts a lot of people's feelings, and and because you know America is a Christian nation, and well Romans thirteen and all that says, you, you know that uh, that by enforcing. Uh, you know, nation's laws, you're enforcing God's will or some, you know, somehow. Uh, and, and that might not be quite right. You, and it, I, if you are mistaken, and <laughs> I, I think of, uh, there's uh, Shakespeare's King Henry V. Uh, King Henry, he just, he's uh, fixing to have a battle. He disguises himself as a common soldier and goes, talks to his men before the battle. And they're talking, he's talking, uh, you know, will how do the men feel about going and and uh, you know a, a attacking other men on the king's behalf? And one of the men says, "Well, if his cause be wrong, our loyalty to the king will take the sin out of it." And I think police officers today make that same mistake that somehow, uh, even if they cause unjust harm to others, is long their obedience to the state. And just that they're following orders will somehow remove the sin from their actions. And um, you may have well, an account. It's kind of like the, the, the Richard Nixon <laughs> line, right? It's when the yeah. president does it, it's not illegal. You know, if the king right. commands it, it's not a sin. Uh, but that's, that's sure not in the Bible. No. And that's, and see, if you face that and say, wow, well, you know, I was following, everything was legal and it was what I was taught. And well, it, um, the Supreme Court justice say it's good, and that's everything. America's awesome, so it must be all right. Uh, that's everything I've been taught since third grade. And, and, and people are continually and completely indoctrinated with the belief that government enforcers are the embodiment of righteousness. Uh, but when they're exposed to count, uh, evidence counter to this, it's a big blow to your ego. And you ha- people have so much of their own identity. And police officers, especially, their own identity wrapped up in this core belief, um, and it's ex- extremely unpleasant to realize you wasted and misplaced some uh, so much of your own emotional capital, particularly when you have to face 
just how much damage you have inflicted on other people. And, and to, to face that and to deal with it requires true reflection. You have to admit culpability and liability, which police departments don't like to do. It ha- it's also very humiliating. And you have to humble yourself and you've got to stop doing what you're doing. You have to change your ways. And by changing your ways, that's a further admission of your error. Um, you know, in courses of action like that, you can only speak about them on church on Sunday, but really only in the, in the, in the most in abstract and insincere manners. Uh, actually doing that for yourself the other six days of the week when you're on your job, especially, uh, you know, when you're under orders to do so, uh, it's almost impossible. And people choose, they double down with the logic. And, and so they go, well, you know, it's not the law that's failed. It's not the government who's failed. It's that our, it was our lack of faith, our lack of faith in the system, uh, that has caused it to fail. And you see police officers do that too, just straight up with a drug war. They'll say, wow, it's not working. We need to try harder and get tougher. Uh, and we must, um, you know, sacrifice more of our conscience. We've got to, we, we've got to really do some hard things here. And the, the injustice and the suffering only perpetuates. Um, and you see police officers and our military men, why do they have such high rates of PSD? I think a lot of that is a moral injury. That's that's harm that they've caused to other people uh, enforcing unjust laws and commands. And again, you suffer those moral consequences uh, to your own um, moral fiber, your psyche, uh, whatever you want to call it. And the first thing you have to do to deal with that is admit that you were wrong and you caused harm. To do that would to, to would be to indict the the system that you had a ton of faith in, and and people don't want to do that. Well, we touched on this a little bit, or, or or you did earlier, and now we're kind of back to it again. When we're looking at people who are in police work, or or, or also the military, which you just mentioned, you know, I mean, amongst libertarians, you kind of have uh, a, a couple of different groups. You know, some people it seems like. All they ever want to do is just bash and dehumanize police officers. I mean, number one, that's not a that's not a Christian attitude. I mean, the Christian attitude, even if somebody's doing something wrong, is is to to love your enemies and and seek to to help them to repent of what they're doing, which is what you're talking about. Um, so, I mean, as you, you kind of mentioned at the outset, that most police, at least in your experience, uh, are are trying to do what they think is right. They're, they're trying to do well. Now, sure, there's probably a lot of double standard in that uh, and, and hypocrisy. Uh, but nevertheless, they, they're not going out to work every day thinking, yeah, I'm going to stick it to some citizens. They're, they're, they're going out there thinking that what they're doing is, is ultimately uh, good. So how, how can we actually reach them in a constructive and loving way? I mean, because what what some of these libertarians do, just bashing cops, I don't think is helpful or 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 Christian to do it that way. But how can we reach them in a way that 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 shows them, hey, this really is wrong, and you need to stop doing this? Uh, 
that's really hard to do. It was difficult for me. Again, it took me several years of just kind of reflection. And there's very few people that really even talk about it and speak about that in, in those type of, um, in type of ways. So you just don't even hear that, um, that there is some type of uh, discontinu- discontinuity between what is right and what is legal. Um, with police officers, yes, if they were just bad guys and they were malicious, uh, that would be easy to fix. <laughs> the fact they're well-meaning, well-intended, and as, as far, yeah, as far as you say the rules are, which, which cover a lot of abuse, uh, they're just generally following policy. Um, and so that's that's a hard kind of cognitive dissonance for for a police officer to understand. Um, and and that's why I'm speaking out so much is because I'm talking to myself of a cop from ten years ago. say, man, wake up. you know you're you're harming yourself. Not only are you not helping and you're actually, destabilizing your community, but you're, you're, you're spiritually, uh, and morally harming your own self. And so you, you've got to start to look at this, uh, beyond just following orders and understand you, you are endowed with free will and we all are every, every individual officer. And with that free will comes a responsibility to choose right from wrong and and the and see this this is where this is where i i get into the by by even even serving as an as an enforcer or armed government agent just the in in kind of a, a libertarian principle of government itself being illegitimate is and how that is inconsistent with Christianity is the government claims that it can change right from wrong. That's what it does with a piece of paper or just popular opinion that it can say, all right, if you did this just under a ba- not even a Christian principle, but just a basic human decency of when you can use violence uh, or force against another person would be, would be wrong. To go into a stranger's home uh, because they have a plant that you don't like and go and take it from them, shoot them if they resist, it's morally wrong. And But see, the government claims that it can change that and transmute that wrong into a right. And, and so that's putting itself, that's violating God's will. And, and that, is a, that is a huge deception when people buy that and so the government's very own existence is antithetical to basic uh you know godly principles of right and wrong and to say oh like we can change that no you can't and and you know that's that's what is that what, what god's will is is that what not part of what you know truth is now, do we have a different understandings and ideas? Well, I think it means this. Well, sure, we do. Uh, but no more than your different ideas on gravity doesn't change gravity. 
And it's the same way with these with these rights and wrongs. And no way there's there's no government edict or declaration or constitute even a constitution can change the laws of gravity. In the same way with human interaction, um, you that's just a basic principle that we don't teach anyone. And and, and police officers, uh, you know, they they have a higher duty than even just an average person. And 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 in and even you do legitimate work and dispute resolution and protecting other people. Yes, that's all morally just and correct and righteous and and uh, praiseworthy. Yes, it is. But you you have you have to to really use that free will and that conscience that you've been endowed with by your Creator to determine for yourself because you're the one that's going to bear that culpability of those actions, not some government, not some piece of paper. You're the one that's going to bear those and and have an ultimate accounting, and so we need to speak to you know to people and say, hey, you you know this has really been distorted, and and you're going to pay a price for this. So another thing that I want to ask about is that you know right now on kind of an international scale, sort of what we're seeing as far as the drug war is is this craziness in the Philippines, uh, where the, the, the president there has just launched an, an all-out militaristic police state war on drugs where the cops are like just executing people on the streets extrajudicially, uh, and it's total pandemonium. Um, and, and yet, <laughs> amazingly, Trump has said things like, uh, yeah, they're doing great things uh, on, with the drug problem in the Philippines. I mean, I don't, want, I don't want what's happening in the Philippines to come to the United States. Is that the direction we're headed, or do you think that, that people are kind of waking up? I mean, it seems like uh, at least marijuana is being legalized in a lot of places now, first medically, then recreationally. Seems like maybe we're moving in the right direction, but I don't know. That could, that could turn off on a whole other path. I mean, I have no idea how this is going to play out. What, what do you think? Well, what you've seen this uh, drug war ebb and flow for a couple hundred years. What you're seeing in the Philippines, our Harrison Narcotics Act in 1914, a hundred years ago, was, was really part of that was specifically for the Philippines, which was, you know, a newly conquered territory. Remember when we, when we liberated the Philippines, uh, uh, fought for their freedom from Spain. And of course we then uh, killed, you know, what, 500,000 Filipinos uh, in part of their pacification program, uh, you know, in the uh, late 1800s. And so we did our own kind of, uh, you know, kind of uh, program that, that Duarte, President Duarte is doing right now. We did that 100 years ago in the Philippines and, and, um, and killed, uh, you know, lots of Filipinos uh, to protect them from evil Chinese opium. And of course, if you even just use the Wikipedia version of Google, the opium wars in the East India trading company. And so from the 1700s on, that is what, uh, governments of Western governments at first, you know, is Britain. And then it's kind of moved over to us now as what did they do, um, in the opium wars? Well, they fought to keep it illegal in china fought to keep it illegal yet the british grew tons of it in india 
and then imported it in. So they would keep it illegal and that would help protect, protect their market. And then they would but say, no, but you got to allow us to sell it in India and have our exclusive trading. And so they were doing that then. And they do the same thing with the Philippines. So what you, what you have going on today is just a continuation of those wars. And we, we did that, uh, you know, in Laos and Vietnam in the, in the you know, 50s and 60s and 70s. And in the 70s and 80s, that's exactly what we were doing and continue to do this day in Colombia and Nicaragua and El Salvador and Panama uh, and, and Mexico with our drug war down there that's killing thousands of people. Um, it's all the same thing. So you just kind of ebbs and flows with the viciousness of it. So Duarte, he's, he's killing people, and he has his gangs, which are law enforcement. Uh, are they killing drug dealers? Maybe some, but it's more just cons- kind of consolidation of uh, you know, who's, who's going to be to do, do the dealing, who controls the streets. It, it even uh, I think Duarte's own son is, is, uh, has now been shown that he's a you know. A, a million dollar uh, drug drug dealer. So same. It's the same game. It's the same game. And whether it's in whether a you know a, a dictator like Duarte does it, or whether our own government, you know, super awesome Ronald Reagan, uh, whether he does it or it continues today. Wow, what are we doing in Afghanistan, occupying that country for the past? Uh, 16 years while it provides 93% of the world's heroin. You know, another thing that has, of course, been in, in the media a lot, um, I mean, and this, is, this has been a problem for, for decades, but it's really starting to come to fruition now, has to do with things like uh, racial disparities in, in the policing and the court system. Uh, it, it's overwhelmingly, you know, minorities who uh, tend to be on the, the receiving end of these, of these laws. Um, so, I mean, in, in your insight, I mean, two questions. Number one, uh, is, it, is it really a, a true disparity there, or is it that you know, minority populations tend to be higher users of, of drugs, uh, or is it really a, a systemic problem in the, in the system? And then number two, uh, what impact does this have on on families and and communities when these people they, they they go to jail they get a record then they get out and it's hard for them to to get a job because I mean many people they just don't want to employ a felon uh, and so then they end up turning back to crime or it's just it's like a vicious cycle it seems so what, what's your insight on that well two things going on first of all just as individual police officers, you know, and this, and this is in, in my department, and, and I'm sure it's the same way in most of car- across America, not racist. Uh, you know, they, I know it looks like that, and you hear about it all the time, but that's why police officers get so upset, uh, and, and really they shut down with listening uh, to, the, to the community when you hear, oh, this racist this and racist that, and they're not. They try really hard not to be, uh, you know, I had, I had very good black leadership in my, in my, in my department and they wouldn't stand for any, for any of that. Yet we had the same disparities with our arrest rates. Uh, you know, marijuana is a, a big one, uh, black and white use marijuana at this at the same rate. Yet we arrested, uh, uh, blacks three or four times more for it. 
so why why is that? And and so while at the same time, very little racism uh, in police departments today, drug enforcement has always been racial, uh, you know, racially implied. It was that was an intentional act. That's what they used it. You know, they talk about uh, you know evil Chinese and these uh, you know dope smoking jazz players in the nineteen. 19- 30s uh, and then and then um you know that's what the drug wars that when they really started uh in in 1972 that was that was kind of the end of jim crow and the civil rights era and so they used the drug laws they said now we're, we're going to make them apply to everyone but we're going to really target minority communities and use it as a tool of oppression against them and so we demonize the minority communities like like they're, you know, you, you remember the the hate stories, the drug craze, Negroes, and all this other stuff. Uh, it's yellow journalism, uh, and and we continued that. So it's it was racist from its inception. And when you criminalize, you take a community, and and you fence them in, kind of uh, economically and socially it's you know it's not a hard fence people can can move in and out a little bit but you know you redline them uh you know they're limited with their transportation and jobs they're they're and they're kind of stuck and then you turn law enforcement loose on them and they become an integral part Uh, you do this for generations of this broken windows proactive drug war policing and you, what you do is you over-police and underserve them, and you criminalize them at a much higher tegre- degree. And you do that to any community, especially one that was already uh, less stable than the rest of the country. And I'll show you a community that can't pull them up themselves up from their bootstraps. Obviously, they have more crime now because you just criminalized them and destabilized them for generations. So that's why law enforcement is like, well, well, we just go where the crime is. Well, you for decades have been part of that problem. And now it just kind of self-perpetuates. And but we still have the mass incarceration. And and so it's it's never gonna stop until we have a massive and radical reduction in in our criminalization. And that even that will take a, a very long time. And policing is only a part of it. There's lots of other economic and social issues uh, as well. So as we uh, kind of wrap this up here, Rayford, why don't you, you know, what would your message be, I guess, to anyone who's listening who, I mean, either you, you, you spoke a lot to people who, who may be police, uh, but for for our listeners, most of whom are probably not going to be police, but who may know some police officers uh, or or others who are pro drug war, what would kind of be your your elevator pitch strongest arguments uh, from a, a an ex cop who changed course on this issue for why the drug war is unethical and ineffective and destructive to this country? Again, anyone they can look at it from any different issue. If you if you if you uh, are a student in the Constitution, it's obviously unconstitutional. If if you if you actually want to help people and reduce harm, then 
you should be against drug prohibition enforcement. Uh, if if you would like to live in a free country that doesn't have the world's highest prison incarceration rate, you must be against the drug war. Uh, if you support fundamental principles of liberty, you should be against the drug war. Uh, if you don't want evil drugs getting in the hands of kids, then you need to be against the drug war because it actually sucks kids in even more than if they were legalized. So from wherever you come from it, uh, the, the logical answer is to end our violent government prohibition enforcement. Our, your community deserves better. Yeah, and then we'd also uh, certainly add the, the 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 Christian element, which I mean, for our audience, you know, would probably be one of the the, the most compelling things. Is just that you look at the New Testament, you look at the example of of Christ and the apostles and the non-aggression principle, and how that how that applies to Christian ethics. And yeah, I mean, we we can look at the drug problem and say. Of course, it's an actual problem. People shouldn't go around, you know, using cocaine or shooting up heroin. It's probably a bad thing to do. But those people have a medical issue, and they they need help. It doesn't mean what they're doing is good. But Christian ethics requires us to to seek what's best for them and to help them and to seek their restoration, not to destroy them. C- correct. And I would say, anyone that uses uses drugs and there's see here's the thing there's lots of people even marijuana has medical benefits we have children with seizures that actually benefit from this stuff and i've seen them and i and, and i've seen police officers uh just sit there and say well too bad for you you know you you, sh- you should get the law changed as long as the law is there your child's going to suffer i mean that's just inhumane now you have people that yeah i like to get high and do coke well even them that may be their sin. That is true. But the moment you resort to violence or the threat of violence to interfere with them, then that becomes your sin. Now, can you socially ostracize them? Of course. If they threaten to steal from you, then you can defend yourself. If these people uh, forcefully try to sell this stuff to little children, you can arrest them. If they are intoxicated and driving down the road and they are an imminent danger to other people, stop them. Yes, but to go into people's homes and raid them, to, to use civil asset forfeiture, uh, just because maybe they maybe kind of were using drugs or something, uh, you know, that is uh, you know, totally unchristian. If people come into your church and try to sell evil drugs to your parishioners, you are welcome to drive them out with a whip. But to invade that other stranger's home and do that and drive them out with a whip, that's different. And we can see the, the, the unchristian principles. And um, one more thing, about, you know, can we talk about Romans 13 for just a moment if we could? Sure. Yeah. Okay. You know, and, and uh, you look at Romans 13 and it says, well, whatever the government does, that's God's will. And you, you should obey that. And I know I've heard y'all talk about it, and, and I agree with the same way. Uh, you know, what, what it means is, you know, you shouldn't violently try to, uh, you know, attack the government. Uh, 
and and I'm I'm okay with that. So as a general citizen, if it's a don't do drugs, it's illegal. Uh, you know, are as a Christian, should you follow that law? Yeah, sure. Uh, now you turn around and enforce that law, and when when you and you use unchristian principles of of force to enforce that law then that is wrong so that's that Romans 13 does not justify being an agent of that wrong and that somehow that will exonerate you from any sin that makes no sense you can go and be the most vicious murderer as long as you have a uniform on and you get orders to do it and that's okay and that's got you know that makes no sense guys so you know should you as a as a citizen you know you're not required there's no christian duty to to revolt against the government no there's no christian duty to do that but there but there it definitely does not justify being an agent of that unjust oppression yeah i think that's that's exactly correct i mean that's that's kind of my own understanding on on the text is that you know romans 12 uh, is is an apostolic instruction of paul to the church on how they are to behave Romans 13 is a practical instruction to the church on how they are to live under the empire and not revolt against the empire, don't become a terrorist, don't become a revolutionary, but that doesn't mean that what the government is doing is good, it just means that it's under God's providence and he will ultimately turn it uh, to to his purposes. Rayford, this has been just a, a truly fascinating uh, interview, you know, and and where can our where can our listeners find out more information on your work? I mean, where can they find you on social media? Do you have Do you have a website? Um, do you Do you plan on maybe writing a book or something one day? I think that would be that would be very interesting. Um, you know, I'm I'm just still kind of learning and everything and 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 moving along. Uh, I'm on Twitter, uh, so you can find me at Rayford D. I've written a little bit. Uh, have a um, blog. Uh, Blue Enmity, and I also have a few articles posted at uh, Libertarian Institute. Libertarian Institute, and they do a good job uh, up there. Yeah, that's uh, Scott Horton and them, right? Scott Horton, yeah, and he's yeah. you know he um, he's a great advocate for uh, for liberty. Um, so you can you can find me there. Everybody wants to contact me. Uh, you'll find me on Twitter. All right, so that concludes this episode of the Libertarian Christian Podcast. If you'd like to reach us, you can find us on Twitter at LCI Official, or you can contact us through our web form at libertarianchristians.com. You can also support us at libertarianchristians.com slash donate. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you next time. The Libertarian Christian Podcast is a project of the Libertarian Christian Institute, a registered 501c3 nonprofit. The audio engineers were Doug Stewart and Jason Rink, and voiceovers were by Matthew Bellis and Caitlin Horn. If you'd like to find out more about the LCI, please visit us on the web at www.libertarianchristians.com. Libertarian Christian Podcast.